1: The FT.
2: Hello, I'm Tom Burgess and I'm an investigations correspondent of the FT. I used to cover West Africa and that's where I originally came across the murky tale I'm telling in these podcasts. Some of the biggest companies in the mining industry are fighting it out for control of a mountain groaning with iron ore in West Africa. It's a story of dictators, tycoons, deals worth billions, a corruption investigation that spans three continents and the inner workings of global commerce. At the heart of this story is a company called BSG Resources, or BSGR. I'm going to tell this story through some of the evidence that's come to light, and through the words of some of the central figures. Episode 2, The Dictator's Wife. In December 2013, a 31-year-old West African woman sat before a public notary in Florida and signed a sworn statement. It was later published by the government of Guinea. We've translated it from French and her words are read by an actor. And I should say at the outset that what she says is strongly contested by BSGR.
0: My name is Mamadi Touré. I was born in 1982 in Debreka in Guinea. I normally reside in Jacksonville, Florida, in the United States of America. I've drawn up this statement in accordance with the obligations arising from my cooperation with the government of the United States.
2: Mamadi Toure began by explaining her connection to Lansana Conte, an officer in the Ghanaian army who'd seized power in a military coup in 1984.
0: I met Lansana Conte in 2000, when he was president of Guinea. My father and President Conte knew each other from their time in the army. My elder sister cooked for President Conte, and I met President Conte during one occasion when my sister was cooking for the president. I was living in Debreca, where the president owned several residences. Shortly after my meeting with the president, he asked my father if he could marry me. In 2000, I became the president's fourth wife. After my wedding to the president, I received my own home in Debreca. I did not live in the same house as the president but we spent time together in my home, in Interbreaker, and at the President's villa. The President supported me financially. The President and I discussed political matters, and I shared my thoughts on these subjects with him.
2: Over the years, the dictator's health faded. In his last months, he decided to transfer the ownership of Guinea's richest deposit of iron ore. The country was already the biggest African producer of bauxite, the ore from which aluminium's made. But in its southeast. It had vast stocks of iron ore sitting in the ground, including Simandu, the world's best virgin deposit. As we heard in the last episode, by 2008, Rio Tinto had held the rights to Simandu for more than a decade without starting production. In the middle of that year, Lanzana Conte's government stripped Rio Tinto's rights to the northern half of Simandu, ostensibly because Rio was going too slowly. In December the same year, those rights were granted instead to BSGR. But within a month, Conte had died. Soldiers swiftly seized power. As the junta pursued members of the Conte regime, the widowed Mamadi Torre left the country, first for Sierra Leone, then to Florida. Guinea's new military rulers rampaged for a year. When the opposition staged a demonstration at the National Stadium, it was brutally repressed. In the fallout from the massacre, the bodyguard of the junta's leader, a young captain called Musa Dadis Kamara, shot him in the head. The wound wasn't fatal, but it forced Dadis abroad for medical treatment. His deputy took over and paved the way for civilian elections in 2010. I covered the first round of those polls. They were chaotic, but eventually the process produced a new president, a veteran opposition activist called Alpha Conde. Conde quickly launched a review of past mining contracts one in particular stood out. BSGR had made a handsome return on its iron ore rights, which included half of Simandu and some smaller prospects nearby. The company had paid nothing for its exploration permits, that's standard industry practice. It says it spent $160 million on preliminary development work. Then, in 2010, while the military junta was still in charge in Guinea, BSGR struck a deal to sell to Vale, the big Brazilian mining house, a 51% stake in its Guinean prospects the fee would be $2.5 billion. $500 million of that was paid immediately, with the rest to follow later as targets were met. As one expat in the mining business told me over a beer in a bar in Conakry, It's the jackpot. Alpha Conde hired an American law firm called D.L.A. Piper to investigate how BSGR had got its hands on such precious rights. The investigation soon discovered possible evidence of bribery. That trail led to Florida and to Mamadi Touré. The US authorities started to take an interest in the dictator's widow too. According to court papers, around the start of 2013, Mamadi Touré agreed to become a cooperating witness to assist the FBI in a grand jury investigation into potential violations of laws against bribing foreign officials and against laundering the proceeds of corruption into the US. When a French businessman called Frederick Sillins Got in touch with Torre asking for an urgent meeting. She agreed to wear a wire. FBI agents listened in. On the 14th of April 2013, Torre met Sillins at Jacksonville Airport. Sillins had worked as an intermediary for BSGR in Guinea while the company was trying to get its hands on mining rights. Now he had a different mission. Again, we've translated this from the French transcripts, which were later published by Guinea's current government. It's read by actors. Sillins is speaking first.
1: The deal for the documents and for the declaration was what I told you. We destroy all the documents, you get 200 and then 800, which is yours, whatever happens. Whatever happens, you have 1 million, which is
2: yours. The declaration that Sillins is talking about was a statement he wanted Toure to make and sign, saying she'd had nothing to do with BSGR winning its mining rights. But the documents were the most important thing. They were a series of contracts, the earliest dated in 2006 and the latest in 2010, which appeared to promise Torre millions of dollars in cash and shares in exchange for helping BSGR win its mining rights in Guinea. Torre, knowing that FBI agents are listening in, tells Sillins about when they came to see her. Her words are read by an actor.
0: They're going to subpoena me, make me appear before the judge in court, before the grand jury in court... And testify and give all the documents to the court.
1: The documents? You told him you didn't have any documents? Yes. We've got to destroy them urgently, urgently, urgently. We've got to destroy them very urgently, very, very urgently.
2: Sillins doesn't know that Torre's lying to him and that she's secretly working for the FBI. They talk for a while longer. Sillins gets exasperated. He encourages Torre to leave the country... He said she could make even more money if she goes along with the plan and if it succeeds, maybe $5 million more on top of the million he's already promised her. His words are read by an actor.
1: There will be more. How much, I don't know. It'll be three, four, five more, I I, I don't know. But there will be more, and that is directly what was communicated to me directly by Number One. I, I don't want to give his name. It's like that, Okay, For sure. Number One? Michael? No, no, no,
2: no. Benny. That's a reference to Benny Steinmetz, the Israeli tycoon who lives in Geneva and who's BSGR's main financial beneficiary. When Sillins gets up to check the departure boards for his flight, a man walks over. That man's an FBI agent. Stand up, put your hands behind your back. Sillins ends up pleading guilty to one count of obstructing justice, namely the US grand jury investigation into BSGR's activities in Guinea. He's sentenced to two years in prison. Mamadi Torre keeps helping the US prosecutors, and she submits her sworn statement to Guinea's inquiry into how BSGR won its rights. In that statement, she recounts several meetings she says she helped to arrange between BSGR managers and representatives and her husband, President Lanzana Conte. Through the meetings, as Torre describes them, the company edges ever closer to winning iron ore rights and she is repeatedly offered presents and money. Some of the details match the contracts that Silins was so keen to destroy. In her statement, Mamadi Torre talks about seeing a senior figure at BSGR called Asha Avedan in 2008, while the company was hoping to get its hands on the northern half of Simandu, which is known as Blocks 1 and 2.
0: Around the time when the decree took back Block 1 and 2 from Rio Tinto, Asher Avedan asked me to go to BSGR's offices. During this meeting, Avedan pointed at a bed on which American currency had been spread. Avedan told me there was $1 million there and that they were for me. Avedan then placed the money in a bag and gave it to me.
2: BSGR denies strongly that it ever paid any bribes. As for Tory's statement, it calls it an affidavit that refers to a wholly incredible and unsupported version of events related by a witness who has sought to extort money from BSGR in the past. BSGR declined to offer any details of that alleged extortion and it's made no comment at all on Sillin's taped conversations with Mamadi Toure. The company says it's the victim of a plot to steal its Guinean treasure. In the next episode... We'll hear how the company lost its multi-billion dollar iron ore rights in Guinea and how it launched its fight back. Thanks for listening. The music was by Guinean master drummer Mamadi Keita Jebofola. The producer was Fiona Simon. To read more FT investigations, go to FT.com forward slash investigations. For more downloads, go to FT.com
1: forward slash podcasts.